Previously on Cast and Wax. Trust me when I tell you, Raul, I have big, big reasons why I won't be leaving the United States anytime soon. I'm an attractive woman. Can you help me? You're hereby released from prison until the date of your court appointment. You're a free man, Mr. Henderson. Come on! Come on! Come on! Okay, fine. Anything to make you stop whining. It says... That in order to be president, you have to be 35, born in the United States, and be a resident for a certain number of years. But I certainly wouldn't have imagined that I'd be going to Washington, D.C. to... Oh, um, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to talk about that yet. You're, you're going I, to Washington, no, D.C.? What for? Right, I am, but I can't... I'm sorry, I can't talk about it yet. My name is Jordan D. White, and I hope you are all excited for this episode because there's going to be a lot of great stuff on it. It is, as always, jam-packed, and there's going to be some big announcements later on in the show. So get ready for that, and uh, it, we're going to just jump right in because uh, we got so much to do, so many wonderful letters from everybody, so many wonderful uh, shows to play you, 
it's going to be a, a real good time. Uh, let me bring in our, our co-host. Uh, Mr. Frank Allen is here right next to me. Hello, Jordan. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How did you fare during the uh, the hurricane? I, uh, we should mention there was just a giant hurricane uh, in New York City. Uh, yeah, I was I was pretty fine. I, I didn't lose power or anything like that. No, neither did I. Neither did I. I did, I did have to uh, get off of work for a little while, but um, uh, I, I had to work from home, actually. I couldn't get in because of the subways, but that was, that was the extent of it. I just uh, otherwise was fine. That's good. That's good. Same for me. I was able to get to the supermarket. It was no trouble. Good, good, good. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? No, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good otherwise. All right, all right. Uh, right next to him, of course, we have Mr. Rory Sinjin. Yes, hello, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, Rory, you sound a little aggravated already, so. Yes, of course I'm aggravated, yes. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I shouldn't be laughing. No, you absolutely should not be laughing, but I am having a terrible time. Oh, did you have trouble with the hurricane? No, no, I didn't have trouble with the hurricane. Obviously not, but I've had trouble with my job. Okay, all right, well, uh... Do you want to you want to tell us about yes, it? Yes, I don't mind if I do. Here, it, it all it has to do with this letter that I got at my place of business at the Hirohito Loveburger Institute for Extra Historical Studies. This letter that I received. Okay, okay here, give give it to me. I'll I'll read it. Yes, here, fine. All right. Um. Uh, dear Rory, uh, it breaks my heart to see that you have moved forward in your collaboration with the vile June T. Cheeseburger Institute. And all members of our board are truly horrified by the damage that this partnership can do to our reputation as a supporter of ethical practices. We strongly considered terminating your employment with the Hirohito Loveburger Institute because of this involvement. However, since we truly believe that you have great potential to be a good person, uh, we have decided to give you a wonderful opportunity, probably a greater one than you deserve. Effective immediately, you'll no longer be acting president, but will remain employed at the Institute as a research assistant to the outstanding Dr. Holly Wonderbar, a leader in extra-historical work, and one of the nicest cows you will ever meet. Um, we hope that this will help you achieve some personal growth and understand the value of the lives of non-human people. Best of luck, June T. Loveberger, co-chair. At the bottom, there's a note saying, This decision has been unanimously approved by the board of directors of the Hirohito Loveberger Institute for Extra-Historical Studies. Wow. Uh, so you, you work for a cow? Yes, I now work for a cow. Well, a cow who, I mean, it says a cow who's a, a doctor. Though, yes, I know so. it says, I know what it says. Thank you. Give me that. Thank you. Yes, I, I read what it said on this ridiculous piece of garbage paper that she's a cow who is a doctor, but that is not true. She's not a doctor. It said she was a doctor. It says things, say things. But let me just tell you that she is not a doctor. She did not attend an institute that gave her a doctorate. She did not earn a doctorate. So she is not a doctor in that sense. I, well, she could have gotten a, like a, an honorary degree. No, but. no, she did not get an honorary degree. And even if she did, first of all, an honorary degree doesn't mean you're actually an actual doctor. You know, that's, that's, that's disreputable. The, look, the, no, I, know, I happen to know for a fact because I've met her. That she is a doctor in the sense that her name is Dr. Holly Wonderbar. As in three names, Dr. Holly and Wonderbar. Three different separate names. Those are the names that she was given. <laughs> okay, well, that, that is a little misleading. Yes, so. it is very misleading. It's very misleading. And also, in addition to not being a doctor by letter, as in she doesn't earn the doctorate, so she's not a doctor, she also isn't a doctor even in practice. She doesn't actually do extra historical research. Okay, okay Rory, 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 calm down. Calm down. Tell us, tell us what... Tell us about this job. You, you've, you've started it already, I guess. It's two weeks ago, yes. All right, so please, just tell us, tell us a little bit about it. <sighs> Fine. This doctor, Holly Wonderbar, uh, lives at a, in a barn house 
in a, in a little bit upstate. Okay. All right. And she works in the field, quote unquote, by the way, quote unquote works. Yes, yes, we got in it. In the fields uh, near that farmhouse. What happens is, of course, she just walks around eating grass and chewing on cud, you know, as a cow is wont to do. And then after a time, when nature takes its course, she produces cow dung from Uranus. <laughs> and then it is my job as research assistant, quote unquote again, to locate the cow dung, plot its location on a chart which maps the, the physical locations of all cow dung on this field. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I feed the information into a formula which says, you know, if the cow, the, you know, the cow dung was on, you know, 9H and then 6B, therefore there's a world in which Karl Marx is the king of the United States. Right. Okay. Which is not valid extra history because the cow is not actually doing anything. So, well, I mean, Rory. To be fair, that's isn't that how that's how extra history works? It, it, you discover the cow is discovering a world. The cow is not doing anything. The cow, all the cow does is natural biological processes. You could say possibly that the person who did the formula was discovering these worlds, and you could say even more accurately that I, the first person to speak aloud the name of this other world, is the person discovering it. But no, all the credit goes to the cow. Because the cow is named a doctor, which is ridiculous. And then, you know, I have to I have to pick up and preserve these cow dungs. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 we shouldn't be laughing. This is not, oh, this is not funny. Oh, this is not funny. It is not funny. You are right. It is not funny because I am a dignified researcher. I am the foremost mind in extra history. And I am being reduced to a cow's Hi, slopper. <laughs> no, no, Frank. No, no, Frank. It's, no. it's disgusting. It's filthy. I get dung under my fingernails. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Why aren't you using gloves? Well, they didn't give me gloves. So, so buy some gloves. You're touching cow poop. Come on. Well, I, I, you know, I suppose I could buy gloves. Yeah, you could buy some gloves. No, I mean, just because they don't give you gloves doesn't mean you have to do that. Of course, you're used to, uh, you know, uh, fecal matter on your fingers after last episode. No, no, Frank, we can't. We're not talking about that. We we agreed we weren't going to bring that I'm up. sorry, I'm sorry. But, uh, oh, I do want to point out that, that uh, uh, as a person monitoring cow feces, uh, Rory is officially on asshole uh, watch all the time. <laughs> oh, very funny. Yes, very funny. You know, laugh at the person who, who has to, no choice. But to pick up cow dung all day long. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's pretty funny, actually. No, Frank, let's be nice. Let's be nice. Rory, um, I, I mean, I don't understand. Why don't you just, why don't you just quit? <sighs> because I can't. Why not? Because I signed a contract. What? I signed, I signed a five-year contract. I signed a contract saying that I would work for the Hirohito Loveburger Institute for five years. And, you know, I mean, because when I signed it, I thought I was going to be the president. Being the president for five years would be wonderful. Having an institute whose, whose, whose policies you could dictate and whose money you could Spend, you know, that's a wonderful job for five years. I didn't think they were going to make me a, you know, this. There's got to be a way out of this contract. It's got written into it a forfeiture that if I breach the contract, I have to give back all the money that Hirohito gave to me when we settled that in Broglio. Okay, so you are being forced to choose between being rich and having to sh shovel cow poop. A shovel actually would be a wonderful addition to my arsenal of cow poop manipulation devices, which so far is very limited. Right, but my it's yes, but the point is you, as we said, you're being forced to choose between being rich and I mean you are you getting paid less? No, no, it's a contract. They have to pay me the same amount. They have to pay me what we agreed upon. So you're still getting paid as though you were the president of the of the school, but you're physically having to slop 
poop. Yes, that's the indignity of it. Okay, uh, Rory, let's just stop for a moment and just say, uh, we're talking about the aftermath a minute ago of a giant hurricane. People lost their houses. People still don't have power. All sorts of terrible things have happened. None of those things happen to you. You are rich. You have multiple houses. You are a-okay. You've got power in all your homes. You've got servants probably still cleaning your homes, well, right? Yes. You know, all of these things that other people don't have. And and all you have to do is shovel some poop sometimes and then write down where it is and let a cow take the credit for extra history. That's not that big of a deal. Well, I mean, it's it sort of is. I don't think it is. I do not think it is. You are incredibly rich. I think you need to stop whining. I think more, if more rich people had to slop poop once in a while, we, we probably would like them more. If Donald Trump, every once in a while, was just slopping poop around, not with his words, but like physically, like, you know, that, that might make him a little bit more likable. And maybe he would be able to relate to, to people who don't have money a little bit better. Oh, yes. This is a life lesson. Yes. She's trying to teach me something about myself. Right. She is. She said it in the... Well, the letter that you that you crumpled up here, I mean, this part says something about personal growth. Well, fine. Don't worry about it. The point is, I hope that it works out for you. I hope you learn something. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, Frank, you feel good about this? I feel uh, amazing about this. This is terrific news. Uh, life just gets better all the time. Says a guy who works in a supermarket. Yeah, and I'm, I'm happy now. I feel good because at least I'm not you. Well, he is rich, to be fair. Ah, <laughs> even so. Oh, that's humorous. Okay. Uh, oh, you know what? We haven't even introduced Scapey yet. Scapey, welcome to the show, Scape. Hope you are well. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Thank you for asking, Dad. I'm excited because this is... The Halloween episode of Cast and Wax. Well, it's, it's, it's not the Halloween episode. I told you, it's not the Halloween episode. It's after Halloween. We're going to be after Halloween. Yeah, but it's, it's still close to Halloween. And Halloween is the scariest part of the year. That is where you do scary things. That is true. Yep, yep. That's why we're doing another scary story to scare you. <laughs> Okay, that is why we're doing another escape story because it is close to Halloween. You're absolutely correct on that part, but it is after Halloween. So uh, this is this is the post Halloween pre election pre election, and hopefully, if you are listening to this before the election, go out and vote for Barack Obama, preferably because uh, I don't want Mitt Romney to win. Lots of reasons, but I'm you know what I'm confident. I'm confident Obama's going to win, so it's not that big of a deal. Point is, uh, we do have some letters to get to, and Scape. Uh, the first one is actually for you. Oh, what is it? Uh, well, it's uh, it's this one here. It's an audio letter for you. Hey, um, Scapey, I don't go like this. I don't lick a lot. I don't lick a lot. I just want to be friends. I won't do anything to you. I'm not going to be anything to you. just want to have fun. I hope that Scape will hear this. But I'm not going like, like this. Hello. I'm not like that. I won't do any gross stuff. So, please, can we be friends? Love ya, Mr. Wolf. Oh, Scapey, that was adorable. Okay, I'm real confused. <laughs> what are you confused about? That was a very straightforward letter. Okay, so that was Mr. Wolf the dog? Yes, that's who that was. And the dog is saying he's not going to lick me? Yeah, he says he's not going to lick you. He's not going to go, quote unquote, like this. Not going to do that. <sighs> Well, okay, good, because I don't want you to do that, so... Good, so that means you can be friends, right? Well, uh, also, dogs smell bad. Did you know about that part? Escape, <laughs> this dog just wants to be your friend. Why is this such a problem for you? Dad, do you know about dogs? I know a lot about dogs. Well, then you should know why. One, smell. Two, ricking. Even if the ricking is not there, it's still got the smell. 
Three uh, barking. Dogs are like this. Oh, God, why would you shut up, dogs? That's too much barking. Cats don't do that. You don't see cats going, hey, Dad, how's it going? Technically, you just did that. Yeah, I'm doing it to illustrate a point, okay? Cats talk when they need to. They don't bark a lot for no reason. I'm sure dogs think they have a reason. They don't! Look, Mr. Wolf, I'll give you one more chance. If you promise that you don't lick me and that you won't bark at me or chase me, and you take a bath before I see you, and you give me free moist food, then I will be your friend. That's a lot of that's a lot of prerequisites just to be friends with someone. Yeah, I know. That's how I do things. Prerequisites, like you said, whatever that means. I did that to get MF. Okay. Uh, there you have it, Mr. Wolf. Hopefully that is a satisfactory answer. Scape is willing to be your friends if you follow five conditions. Uh, to be fair, I, I think I follow most of those conditions. Oh, sometimes I chase you. Yeah, we should talk about that. <laughs> I get to do that. I'm your master. All right, let's 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 move on. We got some more letters. Um, thank you for that audio letter, Mr. Wolf. Um, what else we got? Frank, I've got a letter for you. Uh, Rory, can you read this to him? <sighs> Fine. Hey, Frank, I was really wondering about your newfound enthusiasm for Yahoo!, why are you so loyal to them? Is there anything that could convince you that Google is better? There might be something in it for you from Google, if there is. Sincerely, Larry Page. Ah, uh, uh, hi, Larry. Uh, well, I, basically, it's because I need the, the Yahoo Answers. Yahoo Answers gives me the questions I can use for my show. I don't think Google has, like, a Google Answers thing, do they? Not that I'm aware of, no. Yeah. So, I mean, if Google was to set up a... A big thing where they they were able to make a, a bunch of questions and maybe I would be able to do that. I mean, if that's what you mean by something in it for me from Google, I mean that's what I need. I need Yahoo. I I I'm supporting them because they I I used them and then they said they liked what I did and now it's you know kind of a like fest back and forth, back and forth, like like like. So uh, that's why I like them. They're very helpful. They're useful to me. And uh, yeah. Well, Google. That, I mean that's ridiculous. Google's not going to set up an entire website just for your shit. I well, sure. I don't expect them to, but I, that's why I'm going to stick with Yahoo. I mean, what's the difference? Who? So who is this? Guy? Anyway, who's Larry Page? What? Who's Larry Page? He's one of the co-founders of Google. I, I, you've never heard of him? No, I, I mean, I don't know. No, I didn't know that. What kind of, well, fine. Look, Larry, you know, I'm, I'm willing to say all sorts of nice things about Google. I'm willing to say Google's the best. Hey, guess what? Google is the best search engine. If you're going to search something on the internet, obviously you're going to use Google. Of course. You're not going to use Yahoo. You know, that's ridiculous. Yahoo, at one point, was the, the prime search engine, but now it's Google. Clearly, because they have the best, you know, whatever, algorithms and the best maps and the best this and that and the other thing. They, they are clearly the one. So now how about I get something, there's something in it for me from Google. How about that? Okay. Yes, yes, it's okay, yes. All right. Um, uh, Rory, well, we also have a letter for you, Rory. Uh, Frank, will you read this to him? Sure. Uh, dear Rory, I want to thank you for your ringing and absolute correct endorsement of Bing on the podcast the other week. Also a big screw you to Jordan and Frank for using other search engines. Scape is okay. He's a cat. So he probably doesn't get online much, but there might be a mouse in it for him if he did. Ha ha. Computer joke. Anyway, I was wondering if you'd be interested in a vastly profitable sponsorship deal based on your evident love of Bing. All you'd have to do is rename This Day in History to Microsoft Bing's This Day in History, brought to you by Microsoft Bing. Every episode would be about a day in the history of Microsoft software or corporate development and would convey the lesson that everyone should always use the search engine Microsoft Bing. What do you say? Steve Ballmer, CEO of Microsoft, 19th wealthiest citizen in the United States. Uh, of course! I mean, of course. I, well, I, 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 I should say, I, I do need to qualify slightly. Uh, this Day in History is already all recorded, so I, I couldn't do This Day in History, but I could do Where Are They Now in History brought to you by Microsoft Bing. That, that, that's certainly not a problem. And 
and the, the, the continuations could always feature someone using Microsoft Bing, you know, so in some capacity, you know. Um, um, uh, so that I could probably try to do. And I, I, I would like a vastly profitable sponsorship deal, of course. You know, that's absolutely a wonderful thing. So thank you very much for writing. Rory, 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 Rory. But do you remember about a minute ago when you said that Google was clearly the best search engine on the entire internet? Uh, no, no, that was... That was, I was talking to someone else, to Larry, and that was a joke. That was a joke that I was making. That is a private joke I have with Scape. So. What? Yes, 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 yes. So it's a private joke. I can't explain it right now, but it was a thing that I said, but I was only joking. Really, it's Bing, of course, Bing. And you know Larry is probably going to listen since he wrote in. Right. Yes, Larry, right. All right. Well, maybe, I, you know, maybe it's time I just come clean. Maybe I should just be honest and say... I actually don't have much of an opinion on search engines, I'll be honest with you. I do use Google, but that's because it's the most prominent one right now. But the fact is, I'm willing to be swayed any direction at all by money, you know, and I'm willing to say whatever you need me to say. So, Google, Microsoft, Yahoo, any of you, if you write into me and you say, I want your, to say good things about my search engine, I will be happy to say them. I will be happy to say whatever you need me to say. It will be absolutely happy. Yeah, that's a, I'll, I'll tell you, Rory, that's a really great way to get people to listen to your endorsements uh, by by announcing out loud that they're for sale. What do you want me to say? Yes, money is a good thing and I like it and I want it to... I, I don't see how that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, we'll see if they want to write into you. Um, thank you for for that, uh, Steve. Um, it's, it's interesting how many tech people are fans of our... Of our podcast. Um, anyway, uh, Scape, you, you did memorize another letter, didn't you? Oh, yeah, Dad. Do you, do you need me to keep memorizing? I don't want to keep memorizing letters. Scape, it's, it's, but it's a thing we do for our listeners. Oh, so. fine. Uh, here, here's what I remembered. So, I'm listening to the most recent podcast and noticed that some of my questions never got answered. Frown face. That's me doing a frown face. So, Rory, did you ever find out where Jane went to? And is it St. John or St. Jim? Also, I'm so happy about Frank's show winning. My next email will have a question for you, Frank. Hear from you soon, Lauren. Yeah, yeah, she did it. She wrote in to, to me as well with a question for Frank Advice, and it will be on the next episode of Frank Advice, which I shouldn't mention is going to be an amazing episode, super awesome, and it's going to feature someone who appears on today's episode of the podcast. That's excellent, Frank. That's excellent. But uh, let's get to her questions, because she's that... Uh I don't want him to not get answered again. So, Rory, uh, did you ever find out where Jane went to? What? Who? Who? What is she talking about? Who's Jane? I don't know. I thought maybe you'd know. I have no idea who Jane is. Jane? Jane from Nathan Manhattan? Maybe. I don't know. Well, no, I have no idea where Jane went. She's probably with Nathan Manhattan somewhere. And my name is Sinjin, so that's, you know, don't wear it out. But say it correctly when you do say it. Don't say St. John, because that's not right. Okay. Um, hopefully that answered your questions, Lauren. I don't know who Jane is. One more. Uh, Rory, can you read one more letter to uh, to Frank? <sighs> Fine. Dear Frank Allen, I'm always on the lookout for great hosts. Wonderful. And you happen to catch my attention. Would you mind if I used you as a host? Uh, thanks. Andy Thahukwa. Oh, uh, that's that's terrific. Thank you. I, I'm always excited to, to have hosting gigs. Uh yeah, you know, just send me the, the information, and I, I'm sure we can work something out. It'll be uh, beneficial to us both. I'll do a terrific job, as I always do. Um, and, uh, Andy? Andy, was it? What, what was his name, Rory? Yes, it's Andy. Yeah, but wh- uh, what was his last name? Uh, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. The the hookworm, 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 the hookworm. Well, uh, it's, it's, but it's one word, the hookworm, the hookworm. How's it spelled? Well, uh, T-H-E-H-O-O-K. 
W-O-R-M. Okay, yeah, that looks like the hookworm. The hookworm. Yes, the, the, the hookworm. The hookworm, okay. Um, Mr. The Hookworm, yeah, just send me the details, and I'm sure we can work something out. Uh, I would like to know if, you know, if there's money involved. That would be pretty excellent, because I could use some. But if not, I could use the exposure, too. So, uh, I'm sure, we, again, I'm sure we can work something out. It'll be great. Excellent. I'm glad that'll, that'll work out for, nicely for everybody. But uh, now let's just jump right into our shows. We have uh, three shows, like I said. One of them is going to be uh, Scapey Stories. That's going to be the first one. The second one is going to get a little political, which is nice, just in time for the election. And the third one is uh, a bit bittersweet. So, hopefully, uh, you will enjoy all of them. Uh, sandwiched by a nice bread of this day in history and where are they now in history, interspersed throughout. Let's get right to them. Hello and welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. I'm Rory Sinjin. On October 15th, 1917, Matahari, the archetype of the seductive female spy, is executed for espionage by a French firing squad at Vincennes, outside Parody. She was accused of revealing details of the Allies' new weapon, the tank, resulting in the deaths of thousands of soldiers. I'm Matahari, and I spit on your Allies' shoes. I can't wait to kill that little witch. She does have nice shoes. Yeah, totally. It's a shame that she spat on mine. Although she's going to get really dehydrated if she keeps doing that. It would be a real shame if we executed her before she was completely hydrated. Hey, crazy spy lady, drink some water. Thank you, I was parched. Excellent. Now, with the shooting. Damn. And Matahari was, in fact, incredibly well hydrated when she died, so much so that she flowed water for days. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Oh yes, let's just help out spies, why don't we? My name's Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And let me tell you what happened to those people who helped a spy by making sure that she was well hydrated. Yes, of course, everyone should be well hydrated, but they should take it into their own hands to make sure that they are well hydrated. They shouldn't depend on other people to give them the hydration that they need, because people are going to stab you in the back or, you know, shoot you to your face. One of the two, I mean, they're not going to be your friends. You shouldn't be able to just walk around going, oh, I'm just going to be dehydrated all the time, and then expect that people are going to give you water and force you to drink it so that make sure that you're hydrated. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. People are awful human beings. People are, I mean, well, people are the only kind of human beings, so in, in a way they're the best kind of human beings because they are the kind that is most like human beings, which are by nature awful. So, that is what I'm trying to say, and that is the moral. Well, it's not the actual moral. The actual moral is, you know, be well hydrated and take it into your own hands to make sure that you are well hydrated, because again, people will spit on your shoes before they actually help you. That the spitting part was accurate, the giving water, it's less accurate. So, my name's Rory Sinjin. This is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Scabby Stories from a Cat in the Dark. Hello, and welcome to Scapey Stories from a Cat in the Dark. My name is Jordan D. White, and this is my cat, Scapey. Hello, Scapey. How are you? Good. I'm very good, but this is a spooky show for Halloween. Well, it's actually going to be uh, after Halloween. Yeah, but it's still going to be pretty scary. Okay. For those of you who don't know, this is a show where I tell a scary story to Scape, and then Scape tells it to a special guest. Uh, we've actually been doing movies recently, so I watch a movie with him, and then he tells it to a guest. This one is going to be a little tough, because it has been quite a while since Scape watched this movie. But I, mean, I still remember it pretty good. Okay, if you say so. But it has been a little while. Yeah, but I, it's, I know how it goes, basic. Okay, all right. Uh, why don't we introduce our special guest. Um, please welcome uh, music connoisseur, Madison Gale. Hi. I was also known back in the day for the, shall we say, emo disclaimer. 
whatever that term means. Yeah, I don't know what that means. When I used to warn that this program may contain language and material that may be considered offensive. Oh, okay. Offensive, like the idea that you once had feelings for me. Right, right, right. right. But, you know, oh, you... I, I've, I've moved on since then. I, I do remember that from my days back at WHRW. They, they brought you in as a celebrity to do a, well, a disclaimer. Yeah, the kind of celebrity you've just haven't heard about yet. All right. Well, Scape's going to tell you a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be, hey, I hope you're ready because it's going to be so scary. I'm excited. Okay. Okay. This is the, the, the last episode of Friday the 13th. It's called Friday the 13th, the final chapter by Barney Curran. I like the sense of finality you're giving this. It's the final one. It's the last Jason story ever. I hope they give an adequate amount of closure in the plot. Well, yeah. Uh, well, uh, spoiler, don't give it away. So, okay. Once upon a spooky time, there was uh, a guy named Jason Voorhees. And so you know, in the first three movies, here's what happened real quick. First, his, he was in a camp as a little kid, and he almost drowned, but he didn't drown, and he went to the forest, and he lived in the forest by himself, and he was ugly as anything ugly. And when he would see people doing it, he'd be like, I'm angry at them doing it, and he would try to kill them. For a while, he didn't try to kill people, but then his mom tried to kill people, and then his mom got killed, and then he was like, now I'm gonna kill people, and so then he started killing people, and then he killed a bunch of people, and then he killed some more people later, and then he killed some more people later after that, and then he got killed. What I like about the horror movie genre is the fascinating way in which they juxtapose violence over sex. Oh yeah, yeah, he doesn't like it. He would kill you if you tried to do it. <laughs> so watch out. Which goes back to the puritanical origins of this country and how just enjoying things are just so totally natural to the human body are just so grounds for so much hatred and violence and rage. Well, he gives you a test, but it doesn't matter because- Nothing is more American than Jason Voorhees. Well, well that's true. He's American because he lives in America, but then he dies in America. So, the police are there going, hey, Akira killed a bunch of people and now he's dead. And they put him in an ambulance, in a bag, and they take him to the hospital. And at the hospital, they're wheeling him around and they bring him into the room of all the dead people. And they're putting him with the dead people. And the guy who works at the dead people room is like, hey, uh, hey, nurse. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, do you want to do it? Uh, Jason Voorhees is here, but he's dead, so he can't, you know, kill us. So that means we're free to do it if we want. Uh, well, guess what? Did they do it? No, because he wasn't really dead and he killed them. He went, kill, and they died. He, the boy, he got him in the neck with a saw. Saw dead. And the nurse, he killed her too. He stabbed her in the stomach. So then they were dead. Back when I was in my emo phase, every time I had sex, I felt a little bit more dead. Well, was it? Was there Jason in your heart? I never looked at it that way. Yeah, that's kind of how he works. He, like I said, he gives a test. So, he's not really dead. I was only lying when I said he was dead, okay? And he gets up out of the hospital and he's like, I'm gonna leave the hospital now. Meanwhile, some kids, and by kids I mean like, you know, teenagers. They're like, hey, we are cool. We're gonna go hang out in a house that we rented on the lake. And we didn't hear about all the people dying, so we don't care about that. Do, 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 party time. And they're driving, and they're driving, and on their driving way they go, hey, look, there's a tombstone. What does it say? It says, Jason's mom. That's weird. Hey, look, there's a girl. Try to hitchhike. Are we gonna give her a ride? Nope. Guess what? Jason killed the hitchhiker. 
She's dead now. They didn't pick her up. Jason killed her. The end of that girl. Anyway. It's like emblematic of the death of trust in American society. Well, Jason killed her, if that's what you mean. You can't trust anyone. You can't even trust to pick up rides from strangers anymore because the Jason in our hearts will just kill us. I don't know why he killed her. She was eating a banana. That's kind of like doing it, I guess. Maybe he doesn't like hitchhikers. Anyway, the point is, so those people drive up to a house that they rented. Next door to that house, who lives in the next door? Well, I will tell you. Uh, a, a little boy. He's only 12 years old. Which, by the way, is how old I am. Just coincidence. But anyway, this boy is called Tommy, and uh, his sister is there. Whatever, sister. I don't care. And uh, they say hi. Oh, hi, people. And then the people who rented the house also meet two twin girls who are hot. Hottie twins, okay? And the hottie twins go, hey, uh, hey, teenagers, do you want to take off all your clothes and go swimming with us? And they go, yeah, we do. So they take off all their clothes and they go swimming. And then, like I said, Tommy and his sister walk up and Tommy's like, Whoa, <laughs> I see some uh, naked chicks. What do you think about that? I'm only 12, but I like naked chicks. And the sister goes, don't look, Tommy. It's too much. But then the, all the kids are like, hey, our sister of Tommy, do you want to come to our party? We're going to have a party later on. And she's like, I don't know, maybe. We'll have to see. Anyway, uh, I'm going to go because uh, my car is breaking down down the road or something. And so she goes. But then a guy comes and goes, Hey, I'm a mysterious guy. I don't want to tell you why I'm here, because I'm mysterious. But I can help you with your car, so here you go. Help, 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 help. And then the car works, and so they get to drive home. So then, later that night, they're having a party. They're just like they said they were gonna. They're having their party. They're boogieing on down. But you know what? Some of them are boys, and some of them are girls, and some of them are boyfriends and girlfriends. Do you know about that? Yes, I think I do. Okay, so, but what happens is some of the boyfriends and some of the girlfriends get in fights. So the boyfriend is, like, dancing with the hottie twins, and the girlfriend is like, excuse me? I don't like it when you dance with hottie twins, and the boyfriend's like, whatever. I could dance with whoever I want. And the girlfriend is like, well, then I think you suck. And the, the boy's like, meh. And so the girl goes, fine. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to take off all of my clothes again. I'm going to jump in the water naked, okay, and swim. And she's swimming. And she's swimming. And then she's like, I'm going to now I'm going to get on the raft naked and be naked. And then, uh, do you know what happens? Does Jason come? Well, spoiler. You could have just said yes. I didn't actually know. Oh, you guessed? Yeah. That was a good guess. <laughs> because, yeah, what happens is Jason... I'm amazing. Jason must be under the raft because he stabs her up through the raft. Stab! Knife comes out, or like a sword, I don't know, a machete. Ah! She's dead. The end of that. Then another boy is like, hey, what happened to your girlfriend? And the boyfriend's like, I don't care. And so he goes, I'll go find her. And he walks out, and then Jason goes, kill! And he kills her. I mean, he kills him. It's a boy this time. Kill. Dead. Then, one of the twins is like, I'm not really gonna do it with this boyfriend. And the other twin is like, I am really gonna do it with this boyfriend. And so the twin who's not gonna do it is like, well, then I'm gonna go home. And she goes outside and she gets on her bike. And then Jason kills her! He throws a spear through her. It just goes, Bleh! dead. This the, the manic energy in this description just reminds me of a solo in a skeleton breath song. Skeleton? You wouldn't know who they are. No, I don't know who that is. Oh, skeleton breath. That must be like, if a skeleton... Well, a skeleton can't breathe. They don't have lungs. It's symbolistic. Symbol? 
It looks like I've blown your mind. We should just move on. Okay, well... This happens a lot. This happens a lot, too, where Jason kills people. So what happens is, that girl is dead. So he killed a girl, he killed a boy, he killed a girl. So, meanwhile, inside, the other twin just did it with the boyfriend. <laughs> and the boyfriend is like, that was pretty cool. Uh, I'm gonna go get... A some wine. Wait, I'm gonna go get a cask of Amontillado. <laughs> anyway, he goes to get some wine. And he's like, hey, where is the corkscrew? I cannot find the corkscrew. The corkscrew is what I need to open this bottle of wine. And yet, alas, I cannot find it. And then, here's what, secretly, Jason is watching him, and Jason goes to himself, he thinks, oh, that's, this is, gives me an opportunity to explore some irony. There's gonna be irony now? Oh, yes. He goes, I, ironically, I know where the corkscrew is because I have it. He, he thinks to himself. So the boy is going, I need the corkscrew. Where is the corkscrew? And Jason goes, <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't talk. But he says with his actions, he says, here is the corkscrew in your hand. Stab in your hand! He stabs in his hand with the corkscrew, thus corkscrewing his hand, and then he chops him in the face with a giant, like, axe knife thing, okay? That's not irony. That part wasn't, but the corkscrew part was, because he was like, where's the corkscrew? Here's the cork- get it? Here's the corkscrew! But where are all the woodland creatures and completely random stuff that doesn't make any sense and is more of a non-sequitur to the plot than anything else, but at the same time shows the juxtaposition of the insane upon the, the sane world. The woodland creatures are in the woods. Which makes more sense that it would be ironic if the woodland creatures were in the basement with them. No, no, the woodland creatures were, it was not about woodland, it was about corkscrew. Did, did you get the part about the corkscrew? Yes, but if you include the woodland creatures, that's unexpected and thus emblematic of irony. No, the unexpected part was the, the, the axe to the face. Cause he's right. But that's expected if it's Jason Voorhees. No way, man. He did a corkscrew. If, now, if he came in, like, being chased by a bear and perhaps flanked by a couple of deer, that would make the scene very ironic. Jason doesn't kill deer. He kills peoples. I'd watch this movie if it had more deer and bears. I feel like maybe he killed a dog sometime. I don't remember. Mm. Anyway, look. So here's what happens. The boyfriend that cheated on his girlfriend who is dead with a twin whose other twin is dead is dead. And so the twin is upstairs, and she's like, ah, I wonder where the boyfriend went. Oh well, I'm just looking out a window, totally innocent. Oh, guess what? What? Remember when I said Jason threw a spear through her sister when she was on a bike? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he did the same thing again, this time, because he's down on the ground, and she's way upstairs in the window, and he throws the spear through the window, ah, into her. That was her going, ah. And then he purrs, and she goes, Zoo! out the window, and dies. Meanwhile, down in the basement, I guess, this one dude is, uh, watching, uh, some, some porno movies, okay? <laughs> and he's smoking some funny smoking smoker stuff, you know what I mean? He's watching Mary Jane while also doing Mary Jane. Well... Okay, I don't know who Mary Jane is, but he was smoking and watching porno. So, and then he's like, hey, I'm going to go up close to the screen and look at it for some reason. I don't care why, but I'm going to, so, okay. Oh, Jason just stabbed me through the screen into my head. Ow, that, that hurts. I'm dead. That seems like a very cathartic moment of self-awareness if he's able to exclaim very loudly that he's been stabbed through the head as he's being stabbed through the head. Yeah, he knows I it. I applaud. Can we watch this? Scene? Well, you have to imagine it. That's the whole point of this show, is you imagine it. That's powerful. Yeah, that is powerful, powerful, scary, too. But you're probably wondering to yourself, 
Hey, if that guy yelled out, I'm getting killed right now, how come the people who are still alive didn't hear that he got killed? Dramatic irony. It's so beautiful. Well, here, I will tell you why. They were doing it in the shower. Okay? Shower's around. You just took away my entire enjoyment of this part of the movie. Why? I thought there was going to be some more true irony here. No, they were doing it in the shower. So the guy comes out of the shower like, I just did it. I just did it. Did you know I did it? And Jason's like, yeah, I know you did it. I'm going to crush your head against the shower. Crush! And he does it. Then he's like chasing the girl and the girl is like, no, help me. No, help me. And he, she goes out the front door. And, oh, did she escape? No. The axe goes through the front door into her and she dies. And uh, at that point, just so you know, I'm pretty sure they're all dead. So now that all of those people are dead, Jason killed them all. They all failed his test of did you try to do it? The answer was always yes and they die. What we're left with was Tommy... The little boy to remember him and the sister of Tommy. And they're next door going, huh, I think something happened. And they go, hey, where's our, our mother? She's missing. So the sister goes, I'm going to go get help. And she goes out into the forest to find help. Does she encounter any woodland creatures? <sighs> Do you want them to be woodland creatures? Yes. Okay, yes. Does she find a bear? Yes. Does it talk to her? Um, hmm. No. Oh. Oh, yes, I mean. Nice. Well, it starts talking, and then it takes off her mask, and it turns out it's not a bear. It's the dude who helped her with her car earlier, and his name is Rob, and she and she goes, what are you doing in the forest? And he says, well... Now that's an ironic entrance right there. Yeah, yeah, it pretty much is. And he, she, she, he goes, here's why I'm here. Do you, did you ever hear of Jason Voorhees? And she's like, yeah, I guess, I don't know. And he goes, well, he killed my sister like two days ago, so I'm going to hunt him down and kill him. What do you think about that? And she's like, that means you're a pretty tough guy. Uh, I'm pretty excited. So, she, so he goes with her back to her house, and he drops off his stuff in their house for some reason, and he's like, you and me, sister, and the dog are going to go to try to see if Jason is next door killing all those people. And, uh, Tommy, me, you're going to stay here because you're just a little boy. And so Tommy's like, okay, but while they're gone, Tommy's like, I'm going to look through all that guy's stuff to see what he's doing. And he finds all the newspaper stuff about Jason. The killer, because apparently they have been publishing a lot of newspapers in the last two days about how much he killed people. Meanwhile, while Tommy's reading all that, next door is Rob and the sister and the dog, and the dog is like, I'm gonna smell Jason, and Jason's like, I don't like people smelling me, kill the dog! Kills the dog. Whoa. Yeah, pretty intense, don't you think? I think so. Yeah. Then, Rob is like, I think Jason is in the basement. I'm going to go down there to see. And so they go down to the basement, and guess what? Jason is there. And Jason is like, hey, I'm going to kill you for coming down here into the basement to find me, because I don't like where people find me. And so, Jason kills the guy, Rob. And the sister's like, oh god! And she runs home. She's going to go tell Tommy, Tommy, you got to, you got to run away to get away from Jason. And... Tommy is like, no, I've got a plan. And, and Jason is like, I'm going to kill the sister and the kid. Whatever, I'll kill tomorrow. And Tommy goes, one of the things, by the way, I forgot to tell you something. What did he forget to tell him? No, I forgot to tell you something in real life. I left out part of the story. <laughs> oh. 
What did you leave out? Uh, do you remember how there's a little kid named Tommy? Yeah. Well, one of the things he's really good at and that he likes to do is uh, special effects and makeup. That's ironic. Wait, is it? Why? It's unexpected to the plot. Wait, it, it was res- it's unexpected now because I forgot to tell you, but if I had told you earlier, it would not be as unexpected. It's as unexpected as this coaster I once found that just has a picture of a lot of pretzels on it and it says beer. It's completely ironic and completely unexpected. Well, I love it. I want to get like twenty for my for my apartment. Twenty little boys to do makeup? No, that's sick, man. It was your idea. Look, okay. twenty coasters 20... with, with pretzels on it that say the word beer. Look, all I'm telling you is earlier in the movie, Tommy Tommy is like, "Hey, do you check out this makeup I did to make uh, somebody look like a monster, or check out this other makeup I did that has makeup." On it. Anyway, so anyway, then, much later, the part we're at now, Jason is chasing the sister. Remember that? Yes. And Tommy goes, hey, I saw in the newspaper with my little eye a picture of Jason when he was a little kid back when he drowned at the camp. Do you remember when I told you about that? Possibly. Well, yes, is the answer, yes. So Tommy goes, I've got an idea. I'm going to shave my head and I'm going to make myself ugly just like Jason was when he was a little kid. And then I'm going to jump out at Jason and go, Jason, I'm you when you were a little kid. And Jason looks over and goes, well, that's... That looks like me when I was a little kid. I'm confused because I thought I was me. But now I see that looks like me over there. So which one is me? Apotheosis. Yeah, I'm having an out-of-body subliminal experience. I'm so confused. I don't understand why. This is amazing. It's transcending the mundaneness of the slasher genre and becoming something greater. He's like, I don't, I don't know who is the real me. But really, it was all a trick so that Jason would stop looking at the sister, so the sister could pick up a machete, okay, and creep up behind him, and then go chop with a machete into Jason, okay, and and so Jason is dead, and she drops the machete, and she's like, oh, that's the end of the movie, like obviously Jason is dead, and Tommy goes, I don't believe it, I'm gonna pick up the machete and chop him even more, chop him, 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 chop him. Chop him. And Tommy chops him. Wow, that's intense. And, and, and the sister's like, no, Tommy, you're killing Jason, which is good, but at the same time, you seem like you're crazy. I don't like it. Then, a little bit later, Tommy is visiting his sister in the hospital because she got hurt. Jason hurt her. Whatever. Doesn't matter. The point is, he's visiting her in the hospital, and they're hugging, and they're hugging, and uh, guess what? Tommy looks a little crazy. The end. You know what would be so much cooler? What? Is if this had some sort of second ending as well. Or perhaps an alternate ending. I don't know what you're talking about. Wikipedia mentioned something to me about an alternative ending. What? I you... was actually reading that instead of listening to you. You're looking up time. Wikipedia! You're supposed to be listening to my version! Whoops. Well, what does it say? Well, it says that Trish and Tommy woke up the next morning and, like, she sent Tommy to get the police, but they went over to the house next door. Okay. Then, then she starts to see like this water dripping from the ceiling, which I'm sure is like a symbol for something. Water, or it could be a symbol for something. Symbol for water. A drip is a symbol but for wa- water. Water is symbolistic of a lot of things, like life or like abundance or inundation. What? Just, just 
Just believe me. I have a I have a critical lit degree. Why do I assume we're for thirsty? Anyway, just tell me what happens. Sexual frustration. That's, uh, that's not what I'm having. At that point, she goes upstairs, runs into the bathroom, and sees her mother's body in there. Uh-huh. And the bathtub is full of blood. Uh-huh. She gets her mother out of the tub, and her mother's eyes open, uh-huh. and there are no irises. It's just pure white. Wait, what? Then Jason comes in from behind and prepares to attack Trish. Wait, Jason's already dead. Well, he came back, apparently. What? See, that's what I love about these movies. They're, they're so symbolistic of death and rebirth and redemption. Okay, we're back. And at this point, Jason's getting his redemption in terms of coming back from the dead. But that again. doesn't make sense because this is the final chapter. He can't come back. Well, he's back now. But then Trish just wakes up and you realize all of it was a dream. Oh, but so there was no Jason? But she woke up in the hospital. Wait, so there was a Jason? I think it was just a dream. Jason was a dream? Yeah. The whole movie? No, just this last part. Oh, okay. Just the part in the bathtub? Yeah. Okay. But she woke up in the hospital, kind of like what happened with the first movie. And Tommy gives her a hug. No. She just wakes up in the hospital. She's crazy now. Wait, she's crazy? Yeah. Everybody's always crazy. Okay, look. Well, that's true of everything in life. That ending- We're all crazy. You can't count that ending. That didn't happen. We could take that- We could take that as a commentary about- the insanity of the modern world. We're all crazy. You can't take that ending as a commentary because that ending didn't happen. I didn't tell it, so it's not real, okay? In my heart, I know what's real. And yeah, that, you... And that ending was real. No! You can't say that ending is real. That ending is not real. I defy you. You can't! I defy you, Scape. Okay. Everything I... in my heart is telling me to defy you right now and say that this is a true ending because this ending speaks to me. You said you had Jason in your heart, so he would kill it. No. The Jason in my heart's only free now. No! Because the water dripping from the ceiling in this ending represented his thirst for freedom. What? Well, and I the, did say it represented thirstiness, yeah. And the blood in the bathtub was reminiscent of life itself, the lifeblood that gives us our freedom. No, listen! I'm gonna tell you a story. Here is the story. Once upon a time, you listened to my story, and I told you the story that was real, and that is the end. The end. There's no alternate ending. You don't have to be a fascist, Scape. I don't have to be whatever I want, so... Exactly. Okay. Just let me have my interpretation then. No, I will tell you how to interpret. Cause this is this is a scary story, and the way scary stories work is they always have a scary moral. Your story didn't even have that many woodland creatures. It had one, but it was really a dude, and I kind of added that in. That wasn't actually in the movie. Wow, I can't believe you. You could believe this: the scary moral of Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter, is is what I'm thinking. Uh, well, I guess, I guess don't do it. Don't do what? It. It? Yeah, like, you know, it. Oh, do I have to spell it? I think maybe the moral is do it. No, don't do it, because Live look- life. Live it to its fullest. Let that life flood in a in a flood of lifeblood that, that just drips down from the ceiling. No, that, so didn't and that didn't happen! That didn't happen! You should do it. Okay, you can't do it because I will tell you and there was a Jason bunch of people. In your heart, run free. The Jason in your heart will kill you if you do it because there's so this many people who do it. Makes me smile. There were all these people, even in the alternate ending. This alternate ending cuts through the mundaneness of life itself no, and shows no, it for no. how truly crazy we all are. There was a boyfriend and a girlfriend and a sister. I mean, and two twin sisters and a and another boy and another girl and then another dude and they all wanted to do it. In one capacity or the other, and they all got killed for trying to do it. But at the same time, they never lived more than how they lived in this movie. Well, 
I mean, they never appeared in another movie before or after because they got killed. But do you know what? Tommy did not try to do it, and he lived. He kind of got excited for a minute where he was like, oh, naked girlies, but he's still just a little kid, so Jason gives him a pass. And the and that's sister... That's why Jason is so very great and awesome. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And the sister, she didn't try to do it with the guy. She just called him to help. So she gets to live forever. Who gets to make these rules? Jason! Why? He's why got do a we machete. Allow, why do we allow him to rule over our hearts so much? He's got a machete. So that's all that there is to it then. Might makes right. Yeah. Whoever has the biggest machete rules the world. Yeah. What kind of world, what kind of fascist society is that to live in? Fascist? We should embrace freedom instead. You are free. Jason is free to are kill you. Are any of us in our hearts free if we follow these rules? Yeah, you're free to follow them or not. And then Jason kills you. That's just false freedom. That's the freedom fascists live under. That's the freedom. Listen, don't worry about it. Jason is dead. He can't come back again. He's and dead. And thus freedom thrives. Well, for now. But just be careful about doing it because you should do your job. What if it is your job? What's your job? Living life to its fullest. That's not your job! You're fibbing! Why are you getting in the way of my life's job? That's not your job! Okay, who, who, are you to, who are you to say that that's not my job? Scapey! Who pays you to do that? Me. I pay it in happiness and fullness of experience. You don't get paid in happiness, you get paid in moist food. Look, point is, don't do it. Do your job. The end. Jason rules, even though he's dead now. And that is the final chapter. Or is it? No, it is. It's called Final Chapter. They can't bring him back again after that. Wasn't there something about a starship in the distance? Oh, well, future? okay. Let's not let's not uh, get hung up on uh, details. But uh, that was the final chapter of uh, Friday the Thirteenth, apparently. So, uh, Scapey, thank you for telling that. Uh, Madison, Madison Gale, yes, thank you for being on the show. It was an uplifting experience. I'm glad you feel that way. I hope you feel better soon. I hope so too. Excellent. Um, thank you all for listening. Scape, do you want to? Yes. Halloween might be over. But Scapey stories will never die! <laughs> Welcome to This Day in History. My name is Roy Sinjin, and this is WHRW Binghamton. On October 22nd, 1975, Air Force Sergeant Leonard Matlovich, a decorated veteran of the Vietnam War, is given a general discharge by the Air Force after publicly declaring his homosexuality, challenging the ban against homosexuals in the U.S. military. Let's listen. Okay, who spray-painted I'm totally gay on my fighter plane? Whoever it is, we should find them and string them up in a tiger trap. Whoa, whoa, hey there. Yeah, Lenny, I can't help but notice that you have a can of spray paint in your pocket. Um, no, I'm just happy to see you, actually. Ah, that somehow answers that question really well. It looks like a Pepsi can. Mm-hmm, that's really weird. Maybe you should see a doctor about that. Hey, General? Yeah? Um, I think he's gay. Gay? Get him out! Yeah, that'll teach you to vandalize. Homo. Homo. Homo! <sighs> I just can't wait till the day of don't ask, don't tell. We didn't ask, son, you told. If not for that one act of vandalism, Sergeant Leonard Matlovich would have stayed in the Air Force and in fact would have been elected President of the United States, the first homosexual to ever hold the office. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Oh, now you're calling people gay. Great. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History? And I am not gay, and I, I understand the people, you know, say, oh, he's effeminate. Well, he's not. He's British, and he's rich. Th those do not automatically make you effeminate. They make you very manly in a, in a different way than low 
poor Americans are manly, but it's, you know, it's just as manly. And why is this even relevant? Why am I even talking about this? Well, I'm telling you why, because I'm all man. And if there are any ladies listening, they should know that because I am single. So listen, ladies, I'm a manly man with lots of money. Both of those things are attractive. I know you, women. I know you. So whoever wrote a homosexual epithet on my car with their keys is not a nice person. That was vandalism. So even more than, you know, there's so many morals you can take from that. Don't vandalize, but also don't discriminate against gay people. Not that I'm gay, because I'm not. So, I mean, if someone was gay, you shouldn't write words on their car because it's, it's vandalism, but also because it's hateful. Both of those things. And also I'm not gay, so you shouldn't spread lies. So it's libel as well as vandalism at the same time. Don't do either of those things. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History? on Cast and Wax. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Politalk with Wally Russman. I'm Wally Russman on Politalk. Tuesdays and Thursdays with Wally Russman on Politalk. And this is the Extraordinary Transmission Network. Today, violence, women, interested? Yes, let's go on. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a scourge that is blighting this country and it's violence. You wouldn't normally think that's a problem. But what if it's violence caused by single parents? Automatically more wicked. Ladies and gentlemen, let's look at the facts. Fact number one. 99% of violence in this country is caused by people with at least one parent. Fact number two. Every person with two parents has exactly the equivalent of two single parents, which is twice as bad. Fact number three. Every time you have a single parent, you have one of two things. You have either A, someone with a job, or someone without it. Everybody knows that someone without a job causes welfare, causes laziness, laziness causes violence. Everybody knows that somebody with a job has to go to work. That leaves a kid home alone with the parent's gun collection. If a parent doesn't have a gun collection, what the hell are they doing? If a parent does have a gun collection, it's ripe fodder for violence. And our nation's youth is being corrupted by the plague of single parenthood. I walk down the street and I see mothers with their children caring for them. And I see that and I feel angry, ladies and gentlemen, because I know that those children are going to grow up to be potentially violent individuals. If you walk down the street and you see a man with a gun, do you think, oh, I better run? Or do you think, what is this country coming to? That's someone who didn't grow up in a whole household. I know what I think. In conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, if you have parents working, you have more income disposable to buy guns and ammunition. You have kids left at home with gun collections. If you have kids left at home with gun collections, you have kids shooting each other, you have violence in the streets, you have the problem with America today. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we're here to solve. This is Politalk with Wally Russman. I'm Wally Russman on Tuesdays and Thursdays with Politalk with Wally Russman. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go to the phones. Let's take your opinions if they support me. Mr. Russman, you wanted people to call and agree with you. I am quite willing to agree with that. Wallace, well, if they, listen, the only way they're people is if they do agree with me. Well said, well said. Now, Wallace, you are... I would say you're a gentleman and a scholar. You are indeed a gentleman, but I don't know if you're a scholar. I don't approve of scholars. But I have a scholarly justification for what you're saying. It has its roots in entomology, the study of words. You see, the female word for a plant is a pistol. P-I-S-T-O-L. 
the same as a gun, and hence the origin of the term pistol-packin' mama. Thus, when the ancient Greeks invented flowers way back in the time, and when they spoke Latin and named these things, they knew very well that women had guns and they were very, very dangerous with them. All right, you need to get your nose out of the book and listen to the truth, because that's exactly what I'm bringing you here on Politalk with Wally Russman. Ladies and gentlemen, as I always say, the truth can only come from radio, and I'm on the radio because the truth can only come from me. Ladies and gentlemen, if you look at the history of school shootings in this country, you'll find that 100% of them happened at either high schools, colleges, middle schools, or elementary schools, places where reading and learning is going on. Ladies and gentlemen, school shootings are tied directly to violence. School shootings are tied directly to schools. Schools are tied directly to books. If you go to a school, I'll tell you what you see. You see children, you see teachers, you see books. Do you see parents? The hell you don't! Ladies and gentlemen, school shootings are violent for the same reading that children of single-family homes are violent because their parents aren't around beating them every day. This violence happens because the children are left alone, away from the watchful eye of two violent parents, free to do whatever the hell they want, like read books. So if you're in here quoting epistemology to me, telling me that's the reason, the, the, the way to find the truth, I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this man is wrong. We need to avoid learning, and that's how we find the truth. We need to avoid schools. We need to find, uh, avoid anything that leads to increased freedom for children or anybody. And that's the way we lock down this country and free ourselves from violence. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's see if anybody else has actually caught on to the truth of what I've been saying. Let's go to line number two. Hello. So I uh, heard this show was about violence against women or something? This show is absolutely about violence against women. Ladies and gentlemen, if you, if you think about it, most of the violence that takes place outside of the home, or at least half of it, is directed against women. Some of this is good and some of it's bad, but if we want to keep a good control on it, we have to reduce the violence caused by single-family households. Oh, I can attest to that. I, I'm at Elmira State Penitentiary right now because I, like, I grew up in a single-parent family with my mom, and I shot her. And I, I want to congratulate you, sir, because... You are part of the solution. If you're out there growing up in a single parent home, you need to take whatever means are necessary to solve this problem. We cannot have single parent households polluting this country. Yeah, and it, it totally worked too because after I shot her, I wasn't part of a single parent family anymore and they arrested me and since then I haven't shot anyone. This is the kind of hero we can all look up to, ladies and gentlemen. If you feel that you have a single-parent household going on, save us from welfare, save us from paying for your mother or father's mistakes, and shoot them. Otherwise, you could grow up to be a violent individual because you could end up uh, being left at home with books and guns and God knows what else. Thank you for your call, sir. Thank you, Wally. All right, ladies and gentlemen. We, we, you know, there are several ways to fight this curse. We can shoot the single parents. We can marry them off randomly. And, and I would advocate for either one. But we have to do something. Because all the violence I see out there is either from a single parent home or from a home that is one precarious divorce away from being a single parent home. All right, let's go to line number one. Who's on the line? Hi, hi. My, uh, is, this, is this Wally? This is Wally. You're on Politalk with Wally Russman. Tuesdays and Thursdays with Wally Russman. This is Wally Russman. Hi, Wally. Uh, big fan. Uh, my me name. 
<laughs> You're so funny. My name is is Ruth Kavanaugh, and uh, I, I was calling because I want to take um, uh, a stand regarding your last caller and his statement. I, I represent a, a women's advocacy group. Uh, oh. It's called Water, Women Against Their Own Rights. Oh. And, and I think that it, it's very important for us to not forget the the problems that come about from not only the single parent homes but but the direct involvement that women have in doing this i for example in order to avoid this with my own children i offered myself up to become a mail order bride and as a result there hasn't been any violence in our family since then previously i was getting beat all the time and in all honesty, it was justified because my children could have become violent. And and there were guns around the house, and God forbid that they never picked one up, proving my point. But, but, but the point is there. Thank you for your comments. And I want to underline this, this point. A man and a woman cannot have a child and abandon that child without a woman being involved. Women are involved in 99% of children who are abandoned. Ladies and gentlemen, think about this. If you have a single-parent household, if you're a woman out there trying to raise a child alone, first of all, screw you. Second of all, the way to solve this problem, short of murder, is with a mail-order bride. Sell yourself off, get a husband, you'll make some money, he'll make some money, and your son or daughter will have a happy household to live in. They won't have a reason to go off and shoot people. Shootings and violence and single-parent households, this is a continuous, it's a recurring cycle. Because the more people they go out there and shoot, those might be happily married people. And as soon as they're dead, it creates a single-parent household. It creates a half a marriage. And that's just no good. But I appreciate women against their own rights, and I appreciate you for standing up for yourselves. Going against the tide of society, I, take, I think that takes a lot of inappropriate bravery on your part. Thank you. Thank you, Wally, and thank you for taking my call. Thank you for your call. This is Politalk with Wally Russman, Tuesdays and Thursdays with Wally Russman on Politalk. This is the Extraordinary Transmission Network. We're taking calls on both of our phone lines this afternoon. Does anybody else have any comments on the subject? Rush, Russman, I'm, I'm, I'm calling because I want some advice. I was unfortunate enough to have myself a daughter instead of a son. We couldn't afford the equipment to get that thing checked out. Now, what I want to know is, now that I'm stuck with this daughter, and people are watching me real close to make sure no funny business happens, what kind of toys should I do? Because I want them to be the girliest-ass toys possible. I don't want anything resembling a gun. Because I First thought- First of all, you do not give your daughter ass toys. This is what the problem with society is today. Good point. I'll stop. Thank you for your wisdom, sir. You're welcome. And ladies and gentlemen, let, let's be a lesson to all of you. If you think you're about to have a daughter or if you have had a daughter, get her married off as quickly as possible. She's eight. Get her married off as quickly as possible, as quickly as it's legal. And again, I don't agree with all the laws in this country. If you can get rid of a daughter quicker than that, do it. But if you have to go overseas, I mean, I don't agree with outsourcing, but sometimes it's necessary. Well, or if you have to wait until she's old enough, fine. But the quicker you can get her married off, the quicker you make sure that by the time she gets pregnant, she doesn't have to raise that child alone, because if she does, bang. Wally, I, I'll, I'm going to make this offer. I know you got a lot of fans out there, so I'm going to say this. Anyone in the sound of my voice listening to this fine show, she's eight years old. She's named Alyssa. She likes a lot of girly cartoons. 
She's yours to be your bride if you give me $100. Thank you. And the, the, ladies and gentlemen, the erosion of tradition is a shame in this country. It's a travesty. And I, for one, welcome Dowry coming back. All right, looks like we've got a call on line two. You're on the air with Politalk, Wally Russman. I'm Wally Russman, thankfully. Hello. Shame on you, Wally Russman. Shame on you and your filthy, disgusting show. I can't believe that they would let such offensive filth on the airwaves. I'm sorry. Shame is only for people who've done something wrong. I have never done anything wrong. You've only implied that everyone who calls into your show should. All of your views are so sexist and backwards. This isn't the 1850s, Wally. But it should be. How can you even say that? I'm not some woman that you can just put in a binder and put on the shelf. And neither are any of the other 99% of the women in this country. I'm telling you, this tape is going on a shelf. It's going in a binder when we're done. If I could put you in a binder, if I could bind uh, women as often as I liked, I tell you, well, that I, I, I'm sure I would. Ladies you know what? F*** you, Wally Russman. F*** you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, right. some, some, sometimes people get angry at the truth. Sometimes the truth is hard to bear, but it takes a brave and, dare I say, a genius person to get on the radio and tell the truth. And, you know, only one person knows it, and that's why I get some backlash sometimes. Sometimes people can't handle it. Sometimes people think that the future has to be about respecting other people. People. Sometimes they think it has to be about respecting the, the, the rights of people not to be married. Well, sometimes arranged marriages are good. Sometimes we have to learn from other cultures. Line one, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, is this Wally Russman? This is Wally Russman, thankfully. Politalk with Wally Russman. Tuesdays and Thursdays with Wally Russman. You're listening to Truth and Genius. Yes. Yes, I am. Now, I wanted to make a comment regarding your uh, previous statement. I am the living testament of what you preach. I'm a child of the darkness. I was born of a single parent. Let me stop you right there, because this is the one exception to what I was saying. Mixed marriages are not a case where we can put up with stopping a single parent household. Because a mixed marriage household is worse than a single parent household. If, If you have a man and a woman living together, and one of them is black, and one of them is white, well... You know what happens there? The Civil War. That was what the Civil War was. And what was that? Violence. War is violence. Try to contradict me. If you do, you're wrong. I'm Wally Russman. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you right now. If you have a black man and a white woman or a white woman and a black man living together, you have won. You have broken segregation. You have made together but equal. Who's ever heard of together with equal? Nobody, because it's wrong. Mixed marriage households cause more violence per household than empty households. And that is exactly the point I'm trying to make, Wally. I come from a single-parent household, and I have committed great acts of violence. There is no such thing as a great act of violence. Yes, the fire rises, brother. I am telling... I'm in charge here, all right? Do you feel in charge? I always feel in charge. I always am in charge. Except when I'm not on my show. But I'm on my show right now, and I'm in charge. That could be very painful. I don't know what you're talking about. Listen, pain builds character for other people. But I'm Wally Russman. I'm important here. You're not. You're just on the phone. I'm curious to see what would break first. Your spirit or your radio? Listen, I, I... I have dumb people that I hire to work the radio for me. Because that is beneath my intellect. 
I know what's right because I don't have to think about it. I don't know how radios work because if I sat around knowing how things worked, I would waste the time that I have to come up with truth and give it to you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, don't think. Don't listen to this nut. Just listen. I'm telling you the truth. Believe me because I say so. All right. Cut. Cut. Cut the line. Cut the line. Cut this person off. Is anybody else? Hello? You're on the air. Hello? Hello? Ladies and gentlemen, like I always say, silence is agreement. The truth has prevailed. Victory is ours. This is Politalk with Wally Russman. Tuesdays and Thursdays with Wally Russman. I'm Wally Russman, and I'm right. Don't forget to go out and vote. You'll hear me next Tuesday. That episode of Politalk featured the voice talents of Charles Berman, Jacob Thompson, Bailiff Quimby, and Angela Schwartz. Welcome to This Day in History. My name is Rory Sinjin. This is WHRW Binghamton. Did you know that on October 29th, 1929, Black Tuesday hits Wall Street as investors trade 16,410,030 shares on the New York Stock Exchange in a single day? Billions of dollars were lost, wiping out thousands of investors, and stock tickers ran hours behind because the machinery could not handle the tremendous volume of trading. What? What do you mean I lost 100,000 gazillion million dollars? You're supposed to be a good broker! I am, but everybody else also lost that much money, which was a very large number. You're a big liar and I'm coming over to your house right now! Oh no! All of my nice things will be destroyed! There must be some way out of this. Hmm. Hello, bad broker man! Ah! My face! Wait a minute! Quickly! This gun! Bang! Ah! Darn it! Now I'm a murderer and poor! Oh my god! My husband's a murderer and poor! Maybe you shouldn't have killed that person? Hmm, that's true, but how will I get out of this now? Maybe you should go to the police and tell them it was in self-defense. Hmm, so you're saying that I should attempt to resolve this without violence? Yeah. I think you may be onto something, Selma. If only that broker had learned his lesson about five seconds earlier, there would be one more person alive today. On this day in history in WHRW Bington. Oh, so violence is not the answer now. My name's Roy Sinjin. This is Where Are They Now in History on Casting Wax. I, I, for a long time, resolved my problems without violence. So now I'm starting to think maybe violence is the way. I mean, no, obviously it's not because there, you know, we just heard a perfect example where a gentleman shot someone and it wasn't going to go well for him. So, you know, there you go. But then again, he did shoot someone and then say he's going to resolve something. So, of course, we should really figure out what happened to him after that. Well, of course, he went to the police and he said to them, um, police, I, I, I want to resolve this without violence, but I do need to tell you that what happened was, uh, before I was g- going about this business of resolving things without violence, I resolved something with violence, which was that I took a gun and I shot someone and killed them. They were trying to kill me, to be fair. They were trying to resolve something with violence as well. Their frustration, they were trying to resolve. And they were going to kill me, and so I, you know, shot them, dead, with a gun. But now, I'm past this violence thing, I'm thinking you and I can come to sort of accord, where I say I didn't do it, or not that I didn't do it, but rather I had a good reason for doing it, that they were trying to kill me, and we can work things out. And the police said, you know, that's up to a jury of your peers, and they put them on trial and you know the broker had lost all of his money so he couldn't afford a good lawyer and the, the state had a much better district attorney than the broker could afford for a lawyer and therefore the jury of his peers believed that he did it out of malice and spite and put him in jail forever and he went to jail forever without possibility of parole he died in prison 20 years later being shivved by a gang leader uh, so you know what let's see how, how well violence uh, violence solved a lot of problems and um, talking about things didn't really maybe we learned something here today. Um, 
But you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, just for the sake of the show, let's say, uh, don't resolve things with violence. My name's Roy Sinjin, this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Never gonna know what you're gonna find when you open up your letterbox tomorrow. Tomorrow. Bill. Magazine. Magazine about bills. Bill for magazines. Postcard from Bill. Oh, look! This letter has been dipped in gold and then mailed to me. I wonder who it's from. Odds Budkins. It's a letter from Chop Henderson. To me? Hey, douchebag! It is I, Chop Henderson! Upholder of the way of Chop Henderson! I am writing this letter in my continued efforts to find Slam Jackson and make him pay! Which is why I've decided to pay you to build a house, a death house, for him to live in! And then, uh, die in! Eventually... Well, after he pays me, you may now be impressed. Oh my god! This is a check for 11 quillion dollars! Is that enough for a house? I wouldn't know. And now, for my royally recognized signature, this is a job for... Margaret, sign this letter for me. Margaret, confound it, is he out hanging out with that roll of do 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 thing again? Giant Japan-wrecking monsters aside, I don't think the bank would recognize that as a number. But it wouldn't be a bad idea to take all this wampum and build a house for Slam Jackson. Adventurist! The Last Episode by Pete Bowers, Daniel Schwartz, Charles Berman, and Mickey Weishner. Our story opens with Slam Jackson, private investigator and famed adventurist. Being somewhere else, probably still homeless, but not for long, for I, Slam's faithful man Saturday, have a plan starting here at Thorpsburg's very own Clubhouse of Supervillainy! Wilma! I'm home! Hey, buddy. Long time no see. I don't mean to shorten your welcome, but things are kind of crazy here. Is there something I can help you with? There sure is, Paladonia! I need a list of all the names and numbers of every villain who's ever f***ed with Slam Jackson! What? But you're the one that found half of them. And now I need help finding the other half! We're building Slam a house! Well, then why don't you just hire a construction company? Gonna need those names, Brosif. Uh, but it would be simpler to Time just- Time is ticking, proletariat! No, no, <laughs> um, seriously though- Running out of brophemisms, Rob! Okay, okay, alright, fine, I'll, I'll get you the list. Here's those names and numbers you wanted. Kathy? B- but how did you- You can hear this doofus yelling through the whole freaking compound. Get out of here with your puns, Brohatmus Gandhi. Ooh! 
Ooh, that's a good one! And so, through a timely dissolve... We are taken straight to the construction site, where we are receiving the most politically incorrect airlift conceivable! A little to the left! Left! I mean, links! Links! Fine! Jeez! Just because you're a Nazi, you have to be mean all the time! Hun, why are there Nazis? Political instability in Germany following the First World War, Annie! Accurate, but completely unhelpful. Speaking of unhelpful, the workers have arrived! Why don't you greet them while I dialogue with evil Brian Blessed over there about the entertainment system? Oh good, more of you. Hey, everybody, glad to see all of you, not professionals. Let's get to work! Here, Arch Nemesis, hold this hammer. But this hammer is really heavy, and what if I drop it on my toe? <laughs> well, that's a good start. Soul Crusher, could you start helping with the frame? What, me? No, of course not. All these measuring tapes and pencils I have, this blueprint I drafted this morning, tucked into my overalls, even this brand new nail gun and this sack full of nails. Oh, heavens no. I'm not ready at all for frame building. Jesus, even with you helping, you sound like a total asshole. Really? You think? Well, I can leave if you like. I mean, I'm sure all my appropriate tools and construction experience make me far less useful than El Grande the Mexican wrestler. Hey, you. Put on your El Grande mask and make yourself useful. What? What, what mask? No, uh, I, I am not El Grande. Why do you keep calling me that? I don't even know why I'm here. I, the Monkey Queen of Zambezi, have arrived! I have renounced my monkeys for attacking me, but I do know something about plaster. But you're wearing a full body cast. Yes! I'm just recovering! Possibly less than helpful at a construction site. Annie, I'm here to help with a construction honk! Oh god, shenanigander. What are you doing here? The world's most intelligent goose? You don't have any hands. How are you going to help build this house? I'm mostly here in a supervisory capacity, honk! But that's my job. You're doing fine. Keep up the good work, honk! Look, can you just make lunch or something? Fine! Your goose is cooking, honk! He would make a good lunch. Hey guys, I'm here! It's me, Arsenic! Go Fine! Jesus! Within a short time, construction is already nearing a close. With the unlikelihood of Miss Cleo getting your fortune wrong, the Ad Hoc Association of Adversaries all amend their awesome additions so they can be decidedly done with this dutiful domicile. <gasps> but wait! Who has shown up at this chateau but the unimpoachable Duffington Bear Chaser? What kind of wreck room is this? It figures. You panel an entire room in baby seal skin, and the first thing to happen is it gets scratched. 
Lucky I brought a spare baby seal. Oh, all the bathroom works. Just hope he doesn't have to bring any ladies in here tonight. Uh, Upton? Slam is gay. You know this, right? What? Slam's gay? Damn it, now I have to wash this baby seal again. Hey, you with the loud talking and the fancy mouth words. Would you get over here and help me with these trash cans? They even have wheels. The invention of the future. I'll put dozens of trash cans in every room. He'll always have a place to put his trash bags. My plan will not fail, and Slam will not be inconvenienced. You're missing the point of this, aren't you? I'm not sure. What was the point again? Here's a hint. It's not. Let's give Slam so many garbage cans he can't move inside his house. Hey, that's a good idea. Oi. You there! Relatively quiet person! It is I, Lord Percival Knifehammer, back from my expedition to the moon! Thanks for arriving when we're pretty much done. You're welcome, acute observer! Now, I have brought Slam Jackson a donation of cows! Cows? Wow! That's a nice but unconventional gesture. As the world's richest astronaut, I scoff at convention. Percy, this is a lot of freaking cows. Exactly! I have brought you a fine assortment. See here, 2%, 1%, skim cows, lactose. Jade cows, soy cows, even chocolate cows. Any strawberry cows? Never mention that abomination again, fiend! You know what? Sure. Why not chocolate cows? Put them in the backyard for when Slam gets here. What? Do you mean to tell me that Jackson is not even on the property? No. He's not. Then why am I still yelling? How dare you bring those filthy creatures in with my precious children, you whelp? Me? You witch! Bringing those disgusting animals next to my cat army? You're a fool! It's, it's my job to provide Jackson with a pet companion. And you think your inferior rodents can hold a candle to my sweet, beautiful familiars. It is my duty to fill this home with animal friendliness. Okay, whose cats are whose? Because all I see around here is cats. Just flip a coin or something. Three cats at max. Fine, you figure this out. Where is the restroom, by the way? Go down the hall, second door on the right. Thank you, peon. Whoa, whoa, the... Person goes to relieve herself. I'm going to find some DNA samples of Slam Jackson. Um, you know that he hasn't been here yet, right? This is all a surprise for him. Shit. 
Greetings all with the zest of a thousand compotes. I've made sure that all of the door jams are level. Okay, Lady Marmalade. You're welcome, Annie. Thank you so much again for including me in this. Anytime. Is the electrical system looking good, President Robot Mugabe? Almost done with the phone lines. Ding. Already? Hello? It is I, Slam Jackson, the master magician, calling at this perfectly reasonable hour to make myself acutely aware how you're doing. He's not here yet, Math Magician, but I'll tell him you called. Crap, that bathroom is awful. It reeks of vomit and sewage. Oh, don't worry. I'll freshen the place up with my scented decorative hand soaps. If I can find them. And so, with the fan base working fanatically, and the troll working... Troll-ishly. Work is quickly finished on the construction and furnishing of the Droll Darling of Detection's delightful domicile. <laughs> I thought that was a good one myself. Thank you, thank you. What a thrill. Slam will love the new place, honey. He sure will, Sugarbeet. Now, all we need to do is get him here to surprise him. Hello? Steph Duchakis? Is Slam there? He what? Oh! I see. Well... Uh, thank you. Why the long face? It seems that Slam left town this morning to pursue his lifelong dream of being an opera star. Wait, really? It's a pretty weird lie, hon. Okay, good point. So, he just left? Totally. I think he'll be staying with some friends in New York. Wow. Uh, so, he's given up his life as an adventurist? I guess so, Bob. So, we built him this great big house for nothing? Apparently. <laughs> What's so funny, kumquat? Oh, I'm so sorry, baby. But it's just too funny. We're all Slam Jackson villains, right? I just want a baby. And so, by skipping town, when you just finished building this house, he just defeated you all. Again! Ah! Oh, boy, howdy. Wow, he got us pretty good. Totally. So, what happens now? Uh, I guess I get a real job. Can I, uh, call you by your first name now? If you want. I do. Tom. (laughs) Wait a minute. Where am I going to live? Well, why not here? Why not here? Can I talk any italic into moving in with me officially? 
Where does one get strawberry cows? Look elsewhere for these answers, listeners and listenistas, for we have come to the end of Slam Jackson. Hello? Is anybody there? Slam? It's Brother Zap. I heard you needed help with the house. Hello? Oh well, let's go see if there's anything in the fridge. Slam Jackson is dedicated in memory of Jer Coonrod. In the last episode of Slam Jackson Adventurous, the narrator was Mickey Weissner, Chop Henderson was Pete Bowers, Rob Moffat was Jordan Randall, Kathy Conception was Angela Schwartz, Fraulein Gertrude von Raffelwaffel was Julia Adams, Annie Italic Girl Reporter was Angela Schwartz, the Arch Nemesis was Lisa Paquette, the Soul Crusher was Charles Berman, the Shenanigander was Bailiff Quimby, El Grande was Ed Jones, Arsenic was Ed Jones, Duffington Bear Chaser was Daniel Schwartz, Upton Chuck was Pete Bowers, Reginald J. Sharkbit was Jordan Randall, Lord Percival Knifehammer was Charles Berman, Blood Talon Shadowclaw was Cheska Miller, Hellcat was Cheryl Casey, Lady Marmalade was Angela Schwartz, President Robot Mugabe was Charles Berman, the Math Magician was Emily Garber, the Mongol Hoarder was Greg D'Angelo, Bob was Sarah Diaz, the Troll was Patrick McGuire, and Zap Jackson was Patrick McGuire. Hello and welcome to This Day in History. My name's Roy Sinjin and this is WHRW Binghamton. On November 5th, 1605, at about midnight, Sir Thomas Nivet found Guy Fawkes lurking in a cellar under the Parliament building and ordered the premises be searched. Some 20 barrels of gunpowder were found and Fawkes was taken into custody. During a torture session on the rack, Fawkes revealed that he was a participant in an English Catholic conspiracy to annihilate England's uh, Protestant government. Ah, uh, you're driving me mad on the rack! Guy Fox, I've come to rescue you. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Take me off this rack. All right, as surely as my name is James Robin Hood Bond, I will cut you from this rack and we'll escape in my new auto chariot. Thank you. I'll drive. Wait, do you have a license? License? What's that? I come from the 17th century. Hmm. Yes. Good show. Just press this button. Oh, wait, that's not the ignition. That's a missile! Which is how the gunpowder plot became the missile coming out of a car blowing up Parliament plot. The Catholics actually felt quite guilty about the whole affair, and from that day forward, decided you shouldn't drive without a license. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Boom, indeed. My name's Rory Singer, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Casting Wax. And there's a lot of things you shouldn't do without a license. Did you know you should not be able to practice extra history without a license? Meaning that you have to be a licensed extra historian. And I happen to know that the only reputable licensing agency through which extra history can operate is the one created by Mr. Rory Singer, and that's me. So all these other schools that supposedly, you know, offer you degrees in extra history, they are not true extra historians because they are not Rory Singer authorized extra historians. So if you want a Rory Sinjin authorized extra historical license, you have to get in touch with Mr. Rory Sinjin. In other words, these bastards at the Hirohito Loveburger Institute for Extra Historical Studies, they have no licensed extra historians. And also, you know, 
There's many countries in Europe that have a completely unlicensed extra historian working for them. How embarrassing for them. I, of course, am Rory St. John himself, therefore I am a licensed extra historian, and I must ask that all non-licensed extra historians cease their extra historical studies immediately, as of right now, and that includes random speculating by any amateur extra historian. I do not believe that anyone should just casually speculate as to, oh, you know, might there be a world in which, no, 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 stop, you are not a licensed extra historian, you are not allowed, it's much like driving an automobile. You wouldn't say, well, I'm just going to casually drive an automobile, even though I'm not a licensed automobile operator. No, that's ridiculous, and the same is true for extra history. Please, cease the practice, unless you are licensed by me. My name is Roy Singen, this is Where Are They Now in History? I'm Cast and Wax. And please email me at castandwax at gmail.com if you're interested in becoming a Rory Singen licensed extra historical practitioner. Dear Mr. White, I noticed that you've been playing episodes of a radio series about me, narrated by my former roommate Tom, on your podcast. I'm flattered by the attention, but I'm now attempting to move forward in my career as an opera singer, and these episodes from back when I was a detective only give an impression of me that is no longer correct, and lead people to bring cases to me that I'm no longer the proper party to investigate. Again, thank you for the attention, but I'd appreciate it if you would stop playing these stories about my time as a detective. Thanks for your attention. Slam Jackson. And with that, it seems our, our love affair with Slam Jackson and his adventures as an adventurist are over. What do you guys think? Are you sad about this? Well, I'm no fan of the man, so no, uh, that's fine by me. Oh, what? You're still mad about the roller do 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 japan thing? I mean, come on. It's, it clearly didn't stick. You've got your money again. Yes, but that's not the point. He, I hired him for a service, and he barely did it at all. You know, if I ever need investigations ever again, I'm going to hire this Tom gentleman because he's clearly much more of a detective than Slam would ever be. Well, it's, it's moot now because Slam is not a adventurist. He's a opera singer. So Slam, we wish you the best of luck. Hopefully um, sometime in the future, we'll hear you on wonderful opera records and uh, we'll applaud you. But um, otherwise we will, uh, we will always remember you as a uh, lovable detective who probably shouldn't have gone into the field in the first place because he didn't really care too much about it. So we are going to keep things moving right along. Uh, we have a couple other letters we want to read tonight. If I forgot to mention, if you have letters you want to write into us, please do. Castinwax at gmail.com is the address. That's castinwax at gmail.com. Uh, Rory, you want to read this one? This one's for me. Uh, yes, fine. Dear Jordan, my name is C. Jean-Baptiste Saint-Seraf. You might be familiar with me from my correspondence about extra history with our mutual colleague in different areas, of course, Rory Sinjin, I have been making a great effort to spread extra history around the world and have taken several government positions to do so, even going so far as to send some poor war refugees to the United States to receive a good education in extra history and a hopeful future. Recently, I have undertaken a big branding effort for the noble field of extra history under the name of Jean-Baptiste's Alternate Worldings, and I have wondered if you might be interested in such a subject on your podcast don't tell Rory yet, as I want it to be a surprise. See Jean-Baptiste Saint-Seraph. Well, that's very nice of you to offer, Mr. Uh, Jean-Baptiste. Uh, what does the C stand for, anyway, by the way? Anyway, I guess uh, it's none of my business. Point is, uh, we actually already have a show called This Day in History on our show, which which explores extra history. And we almost had another one, um, uh, Rory Stories from Another World, but it obviously didn't get any traction with our, our listeners. Well, not enough, I should say. It got some, it got a bunch of votes, but not enough to, to get it voted on. So clearly our listeners are not particularly interested in extra history, um, at least more than the amount that they get, which is a, a good dollop. Um, that being said, Rory, uh, the extra history you did on today's show was a little unhappy. Can you blame me? I, yeah, uh, yeah, because you're the producer of those segments, so I can definitely blame you 
for for making them unhappy and for for letting your emotions color your your job. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, professionals like me, we are able to to do our job in such a way that we don't let uh, our personal emotions color them. You see? Oh yes, yes, yes. Very nice, Frank. Give me a lecture on hosting things, why don't you? Yeah, that's what I was going to do. No, thank you. Look, Jean Baptiste and his alternate worldlings. As you would say, as he says, whatever the point is, it is completely unlicensed. It is unlicensed extra history, and I have to ask that he stop until such a time as he procures a license from me, Rory Sinjin, who is the arbiter of extra history. Oh, I see. Well, okay. So you're saying the the cow that you work for, Holly? Yes, yes, yes. Unlicensed extra historian. Completely unlicensed. Uh, whoever is the, the new president of the. Institute. Yes, unlicensed. Jean-Baptiste, unlicensed. Everyone that you can think of who is not me is currently unlicensed, with the exception of, well, I've actually given out two licenses, but I'm not going to tell you who they are right now, because then you'll probably go to them for the business. The point is, unlicensed extra historians should not be practicing extra history. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, Frank, I've got a letter here for Rory, if you could uh, read that to him. Yeah, of course. Dear Rory St. John. I mean, St. John, I'm sorry. Rory. Yes, th- I thought we would be on this. Sorry, sorry. Dear, uh, dear Rory St. John, I'm wondering... No, I'm sorry. I- I'm giving it too good of grammar. I am wonder if, perhaps, you can help me with problem I have been. With my fellow students, I have been living beneath Brookline Bridge for some time, but your American weather is more difficult than I have been led to belief from film. Several of fallow students have been washed away from recent rainstorm while we waiting to start spring semester at Loveburger College. Have you heard from them at register office or other? Those of us remain very worried. Also, are there any area of New York to get cloths or coats for coming winter break? Endrit Fishta. That's not my problem. Hello, Endrit Fishta. Guess what? I get to say one good thing about not being the president of the Hirohito Loveburger Institute for Extra Historical Studies is, Endrit Fishta, I don't have to deal with you. It's not my problem. You're going to have to talk to whoever the new president is going to be, because that is not going to be me. I am a research assistant. I am too busy with cow dung to worry about your problems underneath the Brooklyn Bridge, because it is the Brooklyn Bridge, not the Brookline Bridge. You foreigner who is not American. Technically, I'm not American anymore, am I? point is, it doesn't matter. The point is that I don't have to deal with you. You are not my problem. Go about your business, but do it elsewhere. I bid you adieu, sir. Wow. Okay. Well, Rory, uh, glad you're well composed about all this. This is the one good thing. The one only good thing about not being the president. These refugees can fend for themselves, they can talk to the new president, whoever that wonderful person will be, and they can give them pains in the necks like they've been giving me pains in the necks, and I can settle in with my cow dung and be very happy there. Sort of. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Rory, here's another uh, letter. Can you please read this one? Yes. Hi, everyone. I wanted to apologize for stealing Frank Allen's wallet earlier today. What? I feel really bad. I took it and I was like, there's no money in this at all. And all the credit cards were maxed out. Anyway, I don't need your library card and your empty Metro card, so you can have it back. I'm going to stop stealing wallets at the pawn store. If you want it back, just come to my place, 1136B, 40th Street in Brooklyn. Neil DeLorenzo. I I didn't even notice it was gone. You don't have your wallet on you? No. I, I, I guess it was on the way to... Here, and then I, it got stolen, so... Wait, 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 I'm sorry. 
So, let me get this straight. On the way here, you stopped at a porn store? Well, I mean, I there's I don't see how that's any business of yours. I well, mean. because they talked about it on my podcast. So, it says that he was at a porn shop and stole a wallet. Were, were you, uh, what What part of the porn shop were you in that he was able to uh, to steal your wallet? Look, I don't, I don't, okay, that's definitely not relevant. What part of it I was in? I mean, come on. Okay, okay. But he's got your Metro card. So, obviously, okay, so then you, so you were at the porn shop just at the end of my block. Ah, you know, I don't know why. I don't know why we are talking about this still. Look, thank you, Neil, for... No, no, not... Wait a minute. No, don't... Not thank you. You stole my wallet. You're a jerk. I mean, thank you for saying you'll give it back, but I... You're still a jerk. I... I'm gonna come get it. I'll be there tomorrow. I mean, I don't know how I'm gonna get to Brooklyn. Well, I can lend you a Metro card tomorrow. Good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Uh, Neil, I'll be there tomorrow. You're a jerk. That's it, though? You're just gonna go get it? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, what else am I gonna do? He's got my library card. I want it back. I mean, my credit cards are maxed out, but I can try to pay them down. Well, I mean, you could call, you've got his address. You could, you know, bring the police with you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy just confessed. He sent an email confessing to, to, to stealing your wallet. That's a really good, that's a really good point. Can I use your computer for a second? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, let me just, uh, grab this. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Oh, ow. Uh, okay. There we go. Um, the police. Okay, uh, sent. Wait, did, what did you just, what did you just do? I forwarded the email to the police. Oh, Frank, no, the the police, let me, let me see that. Oh, fine, fine. Ow. Let's see this. If you, no, if you hit forward on my email, because the last, yeah, the last email that I sent to someone called the police was to Sting. Oh. Yeah, Sting. Right, cool, because he was going to help you with the Girl Scout thing, right? Yeah, yeah, so... You just forwarded this email to Sting. All right, well, Sting, if you're listening, Frank's wallet's been stolen. He wants some help dealing with it. So anyway, um, got that email done. What, what do I got left? Do I got any more emails? Oh, I have one more, which is, uh, Dear Sirs, I would like to cast my vote for the Scrape Deflate. Kind regards, D. Winterscoops. Um, unfortunately, Mr. Winterscoops, the, uh, the, the voting is over, and uh, the Scrape Deflate is not actually one of them. That was a misunderstanding by um, Byron Samuels. So... The time has come for my big announcement. You may recall that I said I couldn't go to Cuba, that I had something very American in the works. You may recall also that I said I wanted Barack Obama to win the election. Well, you're about to find out why. The truth is, I, Jordan D. White, have been working on an important piece of legislation that is very close to my heart, and I've been drafting it with some Democratic senators, but with the backing of President Barack Obama, the problem, of course, being that it's probably not going to go through before the end of the year. So, I do need him to get reelected in order to make this happen. Doesn't matter, though. That's not the point. The point is, I'm going to need to take some time off from the podcast. What? Uh, Don't worry. I hear what you're thinking. Uh, I'm not going to stop the podcast. I just need to stop hosting the podcast because I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. I, I plan on... Uh, you know, this isn't going to be like last time I, 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 I was off the podcast because I'm not, you know, I'm not depressed I'm not uh, avoiding the podcast. I'm still going to listen to the podcast. And I'm still going to contribute to the podcast. I'll still probably record some ukulele songs for it, and I'll I'll send in reports on my my progress from Washington D.C. But the fact is, what I'm working on is far more important than just entertainment. We are going to be working on legislation to outlaw insects in the United States. This is something I think is a long time coming, um, and it has its dissenters. You know, it, this is not a unanimous thing that was just, just going to be an easy through. But I've got a plan. 
and I've got uh, I've been working up a draft of it, and uh, we've got sponsors. We think, like I said, Barack is going to help pushing for it. We're going to make this happen. Elect Barack Obama. We are going to outlaw insects in 2013. Okay, we're going to make this a law. So thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure hosting this podcast, and I'll be back. But this is important, so I need a little leave of absence. Uh, so this is kind of me bidding adieu for a little wait, while. Wait, wait, Jordan, wait. Yeah, who, who's going to host the podcast? That's the most important question. Right. Well, I, uh, I mean, that's part of, I'll be honest with you, secretly, that's part of why I did the Recast and Wax uh, contest. Oh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's some good news. Yeah, I mean, basically, I was like, when I leave, you know, there's going to be a really a big void. And, you know, the three of you are going to, I knew you guys were going to fight if I left it to you guys. So I figured what I will do is I'll have this contest. That way, the winner of the contest uh, will already have a new show. They won't have to worry about the fact that they're not getting to be the host. Oh. And, um, and then, then, uh, then it's just a choice between two people. And, um, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Rory. Oh, God. No, I, but I have to be honest. You, you know, you showed today that you are, you know, you're, you're not able to let your professional abilities rise to the occasion. You know, you, you kind of wallow in this emotional mire. You wallow in an emotional, you quit the podcast when you were depressed. Right. But that, you know what? But that's a more professional thing to do. If I say I'm not able to fulfill my function, it's better that I remove myself because I know I can't do it properly. Then if I do a, just a mopey podcast, that would have been a depressing podcast. No, you, you, but no, Jordan, you don't, understand. you cannot be saying scapey's a judge again. You cannot be saying that. Uh, well, yeah, I'm going to leave the, yes, I'm going to leave the podcast to scapey. Do you not remember what happened last time? He was the, he, he, he made robots and he took no, over. No, and I had it's to not. Cat food. No, 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 no. It's not going to be like that because, again, this time I am still involved in the podcast. I'm still monitoring what's going on. I'm still going to be keeping a close eye on it. I'm still the producer of this podcast. So Scape is going to be the host of the podcast, but he's not going to be in charge of the podcast. What? What are you talking about? Scape, tell me you haven't been listening this whole time. Okay, I haven't. <sighs> okay. Do well, you see? I, yes, 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 yes. Uh, Scape? Yeah? I'm going to make you, for the, a temporary time... The host of Cast and Wax. <laughs> I got a cut Jordan Robot. No. See? No. This is exactly what we were just talking about. You're not allowed to bring Jordan Robot on. You're not allowed to bring any robots on, in fact, whether you program them or not. Oh, Dad. No. No robots. It's still my podcast. I am still going to dictate how the podcast runs, but you are just going to be the person hosting it. It's a professional hosting job, like Frank Allen likes to do. Yeah, and I would have been happy to. Yeah, but you got Frank advice. You're going to do Frank advice for next time. Scape's going to host the podcast, and Rory's going to, well, Rory's going to have to try to get himself, you know, back together and, and, and doing a good job again. Come on! No, Rory. All right, and I'm going to be in Washington. Uh, obviously, again, the election is tomorrow. Uh, hopefully, you hear this before you vote so that you can know if you elect Obama, we're going to make this this happen. We're going to make this law a, a real thing. Insects are going to be outlawed. And arachnids. Don't, before you start going, yeah, but there's still going to be spiders. No, I'm going to, we're going to put in arachnids as well. So, no, you know, sp spiders, uh, scorpions, it's all going to get covered. Okay. Anyway, please vote for Barack Obama. Um, next week, we'll know the results of the election, obviously, but I will hopefully be down in Washington getting started. So, Thank you so much for listening. I have a song to play you. It is a song uh, that I recorded on ukuleles for covers. Uh, just for the fun of it, though. It wasn't a, um, a formally requested one. Just very randomly uh, heard this song and said, I would like to record this song. So uh, hopefully you'll dig it, and uh, I will be seeing you. Walking on, walking on broken glass. Walking on, walking on. 
Everyone of us was made to suffer. Everyone of us was made to 